evening, everyone, and tonight's episode, we're going to talk about um, how I deepen a point of view when I'm writing from a single character point of view. Um, nobody does it the same way. This is how I do it. Um, you might find that some of these things help you or they might hinder you. I think that the best thing you can do for yourself when it comes to your craft is to try things out and acknowledge when they don't work. And if they do work, keep them and hold them close and call them George and make them your own. So one of the ways, um, one of the problems you're going to encounter writing from a single perspective in your work in November is that your character doesn't know everything that they need to know. They don't know what happened when they weren't around. So you have to ask, so my first step for plotting in November was to make lists. I made um, several lists. Harry is my POV character, so that's how I'm going to talk about it tonight. I, my first list was, what does Harry know? This is before he goes back in time. What does he know about his past? My second question is, and there were a lot of answers to that first one, what does he need to find out? What do I know about his past that he doesn't, and how am I going to get him to discover these events? Who will tell him what happened? How will he get this information? Why does he need this information? That's also important. Why does he need to know this? Who is he going to learn it from? Because you only have the one perspective that you're working with. You are limited by your character's knowledge. So, the fewer limitations you have, the bigger your story can be and the more robust your storytelling is. So your goal going into each scene is to get your character a little more educated on their circumstances every single time. They don't have to learn anything new, but they might need, in a scene they might learn um, they might gather a different perspective about events they already knew. So each scene becomes super important in this um, in this method. My <clears throat> then my questions became: What are his goals? What are his motivations? And what conflicts will he face in the past? GMC goals, motivation, and conflict is the um, the founding principle of fiction writing, your main character has to have goals, has to be motivated, and there has to be some kind of conflict moving him, propelling him, teaching him, showing him, giving him growth throughout the story. Then I asked myself, who does he love and who does he hate? And I made a list of all the people that he loved and he hated. And that hate list, I think, actually just became a hit list, you know, considering mine's a revenge fic. What I did in asking myself these questions is that I gave myself a structure for for Harry's character um, going into the past. You know, where he's going to be moving and how he's going to move there and who's important to him and who's not important to him and... And important isn't good or bad. I mean, it can be either, it can be both. So, for different reasons, um, Hermione is important to Harry, and so is Dumbledore, but they are not important for the same reason, obviously. So, 
knowing your character's motivations and knowing their goals as you start plotting is super important. Ways to give your character information they don't have. Letters and emails. In my story, it'll be letters. Uh, witnessed events like eavesdropping. Him seeing things he didn't see the first time around. Because your character going back in time is a little more curious. He's got a little um, suspicion going on. He doesn't trust a lot of people. So he's paying more attention now than he did before. So he might be able to figure things out that he missed the first time around just through observation, which is super important that you acknowledge that your character's uh, previous knowledge has changed him in the past, and he's not acting the way he did the first time around. He's not saying the same things. He's not reacting the same way to these same situations that are happening because we are a sum of our experiences. And um, in my story, Harry is 26 years old when he goes back in time. Uh, And I'm going to set him at 16. He comes back in time on his 16th birthday. The Harry Potter that turns 16 in my story, isn't the same Harry Potter that turned 16 the first time around. He is suspicious. He's dark. He's dark as fuck. He's 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 furious in a way that he never was before. And Harry had a lot of anger at 16, but it was self-directed. It was internal. It was pushed inside because he blamed himself for the death of his godfather. This Harry blames nobody but who is responsible. And... He's not playing games. He's not going to tolerate um, uh, being controlled. He's just, he's not going to tolerate any of that shit. Um, And um, stop asking me plot questions in the chat room, Lady Holder. What is wrong with you? I'll make you go stand in the the corner. Oh. Um. (laughs) Harry can also learn things from discussions and conversations going on around him that he might not have witnessed before or didn't participate in before. He can seek out information. He's going to act as his own spy. So when you're moving your character into the past, they have a a huge advantage over um, the situation and over other characters, and they can manipulate events and conversations to get information that they need that and they, and they don't have. So this is one thing you can do to broaden your character's knowledge base. Um, arguments, uh, courtroom scenes, newspaper articles, like I said, letters before, uh, conversations. Anything you can do to give your character more information will broaden the scope of your story. Honestly, I promise you, you do not need more than one point of view to tell a story. You can tell a story in one person's point of view, and you can do it very easily. You just have to approach it from a perspective of... um, of knowledge, you, you have to acknowledge what your limitations are and figure out how to climb over those limitations with um, these little tricks and tips. Um, yeah, I mean, you can use like in, in the in the 
in the chat room, Lady Holder just asked, so with letters, articles, overheard conversations, they can be information dumps. In a way, yes, but if they're delivered in a um, in a short format, in a very, you know, in a focused way, that they won't feel like info dumps to the reader. I do a lot of information dumping um, in uh, the last published part of Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond, in Percy's trial, you learn a lot about what's going on around Hogwarts that you haven't heard about before because you're hearing it from other characters and you're hearing it during testimony. And, and this is a form of information dumping. You're, you're giving the reader information, but you're also conducting this scene and, and giving um, and moving your plot along the way so you're not just dumping a whole bunch of information on your reader outside of the scene because what happens with information dumping is it stops looking like a scene and starts looking like just a big wall of text that your reader fell on and, and can't get off of so when you when you kind of pack a scene with information but you're still moving your characters forward and you're still advancing your plot it doesn't get boring and it doesn't feel like information dumping it feels like they're engaged um they're engaged with the story they're engaged with what's happening somebody's testifying in a trial you know and so it, it it's not like you're sitting down and nobody's moving and nobody is doing anything else and your reader is learning all these things from your character's thoughts, which can become, if you're not very careful, information dumping, which is boring as fuck. Or really as boring as not fucking. Yeah, that's better. Anyways, so um, that's my plan and that's what I've done. I have asked myself these questions and I've made myself lists and I've given myself... um, permission <laughs> to write a few letters and to do a few newspaper articles not many not not a whole bunch you, you don't want to load it down um an, an, another way you could have um, you could accomplish this to, um, depending on what fandom you're in like if you're in say the Star Trek fandom you could easily do personal logs but keep them short um you can do journal entries but again keep them short and um don't fall off the ledge, that particular ledge, and just write 10 pages of journal entry to info dump because then you're not creating your um, your movement. So if you're moving forward in your plot and in your scene, you can information dump in a way that's entertaining and it won't bore your reader and they won't skip it because the last thing you want to do is to dump all this information on your reader and then skip it and then not have the information they need later. Because that can happen. Well, yeah, if you're in the Sentinel fandom, um, they can use their senses to find information they didn't have before, including hearing and um, just learning things that they never bothered to learn before. Spying. Um, if you're in Harry Potter fandom, there's uh, you can you can do um, listening charms and you know get house elves to spy for you and and tell you what's going on and to tell you what's happening so that you can give this information to your character and to your reader because in a single perspective story the only information your reader has is the information your character has your reader can learn nothing that your character doesn't 
no or doesn't witness so if you, that's that's just the way it is so so you can't kind of sneak information past your narrator to your reader you have to your narrator is the is the whole point and nothing can go on without him nothing can be said or um overheard or um witnessed without him he has to be in every single scene it has to be from his point of view every single scene impacts him his goals his motivations and the conflicts that he's dealing with throughout the story and uh so that's just the way um it, it goes this is this is a very um I think that when it to writing, especially to writing professionally, that this is a skill that you must, you must um, nurture and, um, and and work on because it makes your characters stronger. It makes your characters more real. So when you're moving an original character around in a story, it's very easy for your readers to connect with them if you've already developed these habits as a... Um, as a writer, one of the things that I get in fandom a lot is, um, well, it's mostly about Matt Shepard and how people are surprised that he's an original character and because he slotted so perfectly into every single situation that I put him in. And he moves through his scenes like a canon character, and canon characters interact with him the way they would other characters. And that is a skill I developed over many, many, many years of character building that comes from single perspective writing, writing in first person, uh, just developing the whole character and having them stand and knowing them inside and out. You can move them around into different environments and they look natural. They look like they belong. And these are skills that you don't get without practice. You have to practice, 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 practice. I think that in April, um, it would be really cool if we did an, an original character challenge where, you know, I guess I, I guess it would have to be fandom if we're going to do an original character challenge where you, um, it doesn't have to be a, like a main character, but I think just um, shaping and, and creating your own original character would be a really awesome um, challenge for April. So I'm not I'm going to think about that, and we'll see how it goes. Um, I haven't been over to Rough Trade today to see. Not I have been. That was a big lie. I haven't been over to Rough Trade recently to see how things are going on sign-ups. Um, I think we're, we're – we have 32 people signed up, but some of them have more than one, one story. Some of them are, are – are doing um, 25k so that's actually a really good showing for november and uh, we'll see how it goes we've got um 10 more days and we oddly enough we also have 10 more days to my book comes out fall for you um i got uh um a request for a review which was so much fun i of course sent it immediately <laughs> here have a pdf <laughs> Tell me how awesome I am. At least I hope they tell me how awesome I am. It would really, it really hurt my feelings if I got a terrible review my my first book out of the gate, um, as Kira. But I get over it because I don't even read reviews 
for my other pen names because fuck it. Because you can't make everybody happy. And that one person you made terribly unhappy is the one that's going to go over to Amazon and review your book. It never fails. Never fails. I once got a review because I put anal sex in the story. And um, the um, the 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 reviewer said it was, this book was great right up until the anal sex. That the author sprung on me out of the blue. She acted like I put the anal sex in that book just for her, just to upset her. She said it was vulgar. I almost sent her a thank you note. But she only gave me one star, so I can't send her a thank you note for one star. I'm just saying. Just saying. Anyways, for those of you who are not aware, there is some butt sex in Fall for You. I don't want it to be a surprise. Is it going to be a surprise? I hope nobody's surprised. Um, I think that since I said that I would talk about... I actually did get a kind of bump in sales. Um, um, Julie said so many people probably bought the book based on her review because reading one-star reviews is a thing. And um, I did get a bump in sales, and my publisher was like, do you know why there was like a couple hundred sales um, on these two days? And I said, because that lady reviewed it and said there was butt sex in it. And my editor said, put butt sex in everything, and we'll advertise it. <laughs> so yeah, there's there's butt sex in the fall for you. Just it's not a surprise. If you're surprised by that, I, I'm gonna pity you. I'm gonna it'll. <sighs> I'll talk about you a lot. I'm just saying. Um, I love my cover. I look at it all the time. I think it's beautiful. I, um, I'm super excited about the book coming out. Um, I do want to talk about Pop-Tarts because I mentioned it in my summary. Of course, that summary is going to disappear after I get finished with the show because I wrote down what I wanted to put in the summary, but I was running late and I didn't want... Anyway, you don't care. So, my favorite Pop-Tart is Blueberry Pop-Tart. I like blueberry pop-tarts that are frosted and they have to be frosted blueberry pop-tarts otherwise they're completely unacceptable it is the only pop-tart i eat my husband likes chocolate pop-tarts there's something wrong with him chocolate pop-tarts that he toasts too long he toasts them like twice as long as you should they're almost burned. So it's like burned chocolate icing smell all through your house. It, it's just terrible. My sister likes strawberry um, Pop-Tarts, but I don't, we don't speak of Pop-Tarts because that's just a travesty. I don't even, I don't even know. I don't know. Because Pop-Tarts and coffee are not remotely the same thing, Azure. She asked me in the chat room, how can you eat Pop-Tarts and still be a coffee snob? I, that's not even... That's two different food groups, baby. That, what? Come on now. Now, I love a scone just as much as the next bitch. I really do. I like blueberry scones. I like apple scones. I just like them. Is that how you say that? Scones? 
scones? Uh, that's how I say it. Okay, thank you. I don't like maple ones. I tried a really awesome honey one once. I don't even know where that lady got that from. It was amazing. Oh, it was so good. It was a honey scone. It was fantastic. It was made with local honey. Oh, it was heaven in my mouth. Anyways, I like biscotti. Is it? Is, is that how you say that? I like that too. I like cookies with my coffee um, or biscuits. I'm not picky. Um, I but I also eat pop tarts. But I'm gonna tell you a secret. I don't eat pop tarts with coffee with milk. I get me a big glass of cold milk and I toast my pop tarts, and then I I have my pop tart and my really really cold milk and it's amazing. I like shortbread too. Um. <coughs> The cafe makes these shortbread cookies that they dip in chocolate. Fantastically yummy. Wow. Very good. Very good stuff. I um I also like peanut butter shortbread. That's really good. That's a really good cookie. Um My mom's favorite cookie is oatmeal raisin. Don't don't hold it against her. She don't even eat chocolate chip cookies. That's just terrible, right? It's terrible. She doesn't eat chocolate chip cookies. There's something wrong with her. I don't know what it is. But, you know, she's at that age now where you just have to forgive her her issues. And oatmeal raisin cookies would be one of those issues. Now, I like um, oatmeal. I like raisins. My favorite cookie is peanut butter. I love peanut butter cookies. I think they're fantastic. Yummy, yummy, yummy. My favorite cake is coconut cake, followed closely by red velvet cake. My favorite pie is pecan pie. I like German chocolate cake, too. I I really do. I like to get German chocolate cake and then do a buttercream frosting and then kind of toast my coconut and then drizzle it on top. Oh, it's so good. Um, I also love carrot cake. I love carrot cake. My mom makes a carrot cake that you would fist fight over. There have actually been fist fights in my family over carrot cake. Um, I... uh, I don't like macaroons. I really don't. They got a weird aftertaste. I don't know what it is. Why in... (sighs) Jilly bought a vegan carrot cake. I'm telling on you to the world, or the 400 people who listen to my show. Um, Vegan carrot cake. What's wrong with you? That's just terrible. She said it was the worst thing she'd ever eaten. That's what you really get. That you, you kind of brought that shit on yourself. 
I was at the um, organic food store today, and I bought um, some sauerkraut. And this is something about me that um, is terrible. My grandma always made sauerkraut when I was little. So when I first, the first time I ever had, like, canned from a store sauerkraut, I was like, oh, God, what is this terrible shit I've got in my mouth? Because it didn't taste like my grandma's, right? Well, about four years ago, I am in a, um, a, organic food store and I found this sauerkraut in a jar and um it was um it's by Bubby's and it's uh it's sauerkraut and it's put up in water. It's canned in water. And this is the most amazing sauerkraut I've had since my grandma made it for me. And I fucking love it. So I went over there today to get me some sauerkraut because I was out and the implication being that I keep sauerkraut in my house year-round, and that would be accurate. I do. Um, I don't like Bubby's pickles. So I don't recommend those, but I super recommend their sauerkraut. So if you ever come across Bubby's sauerkraut in the store, um, probably in a fresh market or an earth fair or um, a Trader Joe's, uh, because it's uh, um, it's an organic product, um, it's called Bubby's, B-U-B-B-I-E-S, and um, the sauerkraut is fucking amazing. It's crisp. It's tar- oh. oh, it's the best thing you'll ever have in your mouth. It's called sauerkraut. It's just amazing. I highly recommend it. I can eat it right out of the jar. I have been known to eat it right out of the jar. Okay, so <clears throat> I'm going to put a little porn, um, food porn tag on this after I get finished with the show. my eyebrows twitching um drop my fucking pen i uh oh i'm gonna tell you a little story i got three minutes left on my show uh i was at like i said i was at the food store today and i got i was over in the little section the deli section where you can buy like uh chicken salad and stuff like that now i can make chicken salad but i don't like it i don't like to make chicken salad because i don't even eat it so when my husband wants chicken salad i go buy it for him at the organic food store I'm not ashamed. I don't care. Anyways, I also got myself some Gouda pasta, some smoked Gouda pasta. Oh, so fucking good. Oh, anyways, um, so I had my Bubby's sauerkraut, and I got me uh, some chicken salad, and um, I got a roasted chicken, a, a rotisserie chicken, and I got a um, some Gouda pasta, um, smoked Gouda pasta, and I was standing there waiting for my pasta, and this man and his wife were standing there, and they were having like this little conversation, and he kept saying, ask her, ask her, and she kept saying, you ask her, and finally he turns to me and says, your your nail polish is beautiful, what's the name of it, and then he looked at my feet, and licked his lips, and I went, oh. it's Fifth Avenue. It's China Glaze. You can buy it at Sally's. And he turns to her and he says, we can buy it at Sally's. And she wrote it down on a piece of paper. Now, I came home and told my husband the story. But what's really interesting about this is that um, I get my feet done, Um and um, because of diabetes, and I want to make sure my toes, and you know, I want—I don't want to get ingrown toenails because that's the 
you know, infection and all that stuff. So I've been getting my feet done for a very long time. And I get more compliments from men about my toes and about my feet and about my nail polish than I do women. I no longer... I used to wonder what kind of man would have a foot fetish. Now I don't gotta. I meet them all the time. I meet them all the time. Oh, honey, your feet look your feet are so cute. I can't I can't even tell you how many times I've heard that. For the record, it's like I said, it's Fifth Avenue by China Glaze. It's a um like a mauve pink. I'm wearing it for breast cancer awareness. I don't like the the, the, the traditional pink. It's a little too pink for my skin tone um, because I am a pink undertone. Anyways, you guys have a good evening and keep it in mind. My feet are apparently adorable.